Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you love Jesus and if Foundation Christian Church is your home, um, I want to always encourage you to give. The funny thing about saying that is that I don't have to. Um, I try every great once in a while to do handwritten thank you notes to the families that give, and it is unbelievable what high a percentage we have. I, I think we have more giving units than we have people on Sunday. And if you're not in church leadership, you might know how crazy abnormal that is. I say that to say this, thank you. Um, those of us local missionaries that you call staff, um, we don't have to worry about like taking care of our families because of your generosity, right? Because you worship the Lord with your money and not just with your words, right? Talk is cheap. It makes life easier as the elders try to manage the Lord's resources to do good ministry. So thank you for doing that. Um, I don't know if we have the slide, but you can give online. You can give in the silver bucket in the back. I think you guys already know that because you're already giving. So thank you. Yeah, text to give, all that good stuff. So Bible teaching time. Who needs a copy of God's Word? We've got volunteers that are going to hand them out. Throw a hand up real quick, and they're going to get a Bible to you real fast. And turn to page 549 when they get that hard back to you. Everybody else, if you've got a Bible, go to Proverbs 31. This is, the mom, this is the advice that my mother gave me 40 years ago. Before I met your mom, before you were a gleam in my eye, this is the advice of what a godly woman, this is what, what I was raised believing about a godly wife, and this is how I ended up finding and choosing your mom. And this is the foundation of our marriage is what grandma said. Let me tell you what grandma said. Okay. And as of last Saturday, eight days ago, I had prepared for you a delicious nine-point sermon that I'm sure you guys were going to be super excited about. However, to get out by two o'clock, you know, not everybody's happy. So I preached four of those thoughts last week, and we've got five this week. That's why we're still in the same exact text, because mama's not done. Sound good? Some more marriage advice from mama. Let's read verses 17 through 31 together. 17 through 31. Speaking of this virtuous and capable wife. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads, like, you know, on HGTV, I guess. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. 
When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. Any ladies feel right now you're, like you're, you're reading a fiction novel at this point? <laughs> well, that would be nice. 29. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Oh. Let's turn fiction into nonfiction. Right, fellas? All right. There are many, this is a quote now, her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. And then listen to what grandma has to say. Charm is deceptive. Mind you, talking to a young single guy, a young single guy who's like, dad, who should I date? Charm is deceptive. Beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us today? Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, help us to hear what's actually there. Lord, we have so many experiences, good, bad, and otherwise, that we'd um, use those to define marriage. And today, God, we want your word to have the final say. We want your word to supersede our experiences, our preconceived notions. God, please help us. Um, so we've got a text, Lord, that not only tells, gives an example of character to the ladies, but man, it throws the gauntlet down on the men telling us to praise and honor our wife. And maybe you could even insinuate to demand that the kids speak well of her as well. God, there are so many implications in this text and we need your help. We really need your help. So we say thank you, Jesus, because we believe that you always say yes to prayers for holiness. So thank you in advance. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said. If you've got the bulletin and you enjoy taking notes, grab your pen. Here's your first blank from verse 17. Let your wife, we're starting with the hard one. In preaching, they tell you never to do this. You start off with a joke and a cute poem. You get them laughing. No, not today. This is hard, but it's for our souls. It's good. Let your wife hold you up when you are weak. Let your wife hold you up when you are weak. Young guys who've never been married, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen all the time. Guys who are married or used to be married, you can probably testify. There, is, there are lots of crazy um, <clears throat> ideas floating in our world about gender, about marriage. And just because the culturally dominant view right now, the culturally dominant view is that the genders have no differences. That's what allows them to be equal. That's called egalitarianism. Um, just because that's the culturally dominant view doesn't mean that the opposite view can't be lurking inside your own heart. Okay. 
you could have the exact opposite problem. Chauvinism, men can't cry, men have to be strong, show no weakness, that can absolutely lurk inside a man's soul no matter what's going on in the culture. Fellas, in case you don't already know, you're going to be weak. You already are weak in some ways. And I want to submit to you, the more that we look at Scripture, God is painting marriage as an image where he allows your wife's strengths to bless you, encourage you, and build you up in those areas. I believe that we will see that the more and more we look at Scripture. There are going to be times where you are weak. It just is what it is. We're in a fallen world. None of us is perfect. Look at her strength out of verse 17. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. That's not the only time that her strength is mentioned. And if you had to ask where does the strength come from, the text is very clear. The strength comes from a, a reverent fear of the Lord, a love for the Lord. This is where her strength comes from. She's strong. Okay? That first Peter passage, honor her as the weaker vessel, the theologians are pretty much in agreement. That's talking about physical strength. Okay? You don't use your physical strength to dominate or intimidate your wife. That should be a given. Okay? Outside of the physical world, the Bible gives no differences at all in strength. Spiritual strength, mental strength, emotional strength, relational strength. Okay? Guys, let your wife hold you up. She actually wants to. There are times where you get to hold her up. And let's just be honest for a moment. Anybody ever done the right thing for the wrong motive? Has anybody ever done that before, or am I the only one? My hand's up. Okay, the Bible calls them Pharisees. Okay, you can do the right thing for the wrong motive. When I get to, I don't know about you fellas, when I get to hold up my wife, I get to simultaneously tell myself, yes, I'm serving my wife, I'm loving her, but I get to tell myself, I'm a man. I'm a godly man. I'm holding up. Like, there's so much self-affirmation in that moment. It's about me if I'm not careful. Does that make any sense to anybody? I'm theoretically serving my wife, but I'm serving myself. Like, it's standing at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day, you know, scooping delicious food for a homeless person, and all you're sitting there doing, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Who are you really feeding? Your ego right? So th this is something we have to go inside ourselves for a fella to hold up his wife when she is spent. It's usually, hope Lord save us if, if not, it's usually not too hard to do that. But what about when I'm the one who's weak? What about when I'm the one who's spent emotionally, physically exhausted, not enough sleep, impossible demands at work, conflict with raising the kids, something spiritual, Guys, what about when your faith is spent and your wife's faith needs to be enough in the moment? What about when she trusts God for you? This is what intercessory prayer is. God, I am talking to you right now about my sibling in the Lord. Whether I'm married to them or not, I'm talking to you about somebody else. Or especially if that person doesn't trust Christ. God, they're not going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to you about them and about their situation. That is being strong for someone else. Fellas, let your wife be strong for you. She is strong. 
I'm going to nerd out on you guys because I've been pastor here for almost three and a half years and I don't think I've yet once used a legitimate Lord of the Rings analogy. And this is incomprehensible for somebody who has his nerd card in his wallet. So allow me to tell the story for those of you that don't remember. Tolkien's central thesis of the entire story is that power corrupts. And if a human being is offered ultimate power, their heart is going to rot from the inside. I know if you've read a history book, you'd be shocked by that. But that's his central thesis. And there's this young man named Frodo who is given this golden ring that gives ultimate power to whoever holds it. And his job as the good guy isn't to wield the power. His job is to throw it into a volcano where the ring is going to be destroyed and evil will be vanquished forever. Don't you love stories where the, the, the odds could not possibly be higher? All you have to destroy, do is destroy all evil in the world. That's all I need you to do. You know, Poor Frodo is on the verge of death three movies and 17 hours later when he's about to halfway up Mordor. He's this close to getting up there and throwing the, the ring into, and he, it's killing him. The ring is killing him. And his friend Sam is with him. Whew, I'm sorry, I'm already crying. This is crazy. This has just been such a powerful illustration for almost 20 years now. Sam already knew that that ring had an unbelievable power over him, and so he didn't go for the ring. Frodo's wearing the ring on a necklace around his neck, and he says, Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And then the London Orchestra is playing in the background to make sure that Greg tears up just a tiny bit. He shoulders a man on his shoulders up a mountain as lava is pouring down to get him to the place where he can make the decision he needs to make and throw the ring into the lava. Christian men, your wife is strong. Christian men who hope to be married one day, if you go after a Proverbs 31 woman, she is strong. And all I, all I really think I'm, I'm saying here, that she's strong in so many ways, but again, the foundation, she trusts God. She trusts God. There will be times where her faith is weak and you are going to trust God for her and you're going to pray for her, you're going to pray for your family, you're going to pray for your children. There's going to be, there are going to be times where it goes the other way. Fellas, if you don't think your wife can deadlift you and carry you up a mountain, you don't understand how God has designed her. She can I could tell stories about the number of times in almost 14 years of marriage that I've been deadlifted up a mountain to go do what only I could do. It's happened over and over and over. Fellas, do not try to stop your wife from being strong because you are keeping the blessings of God at arm's length. God is trying to bless you through her. He's trying to strengthen you through her. He's trying to equip you through her. He's trying to humble you through her. Here are some introspection questions for a man who has been married, who's looking back at a marriage and analyzing it for a guy who is married now, a guy who hopes to be. Do I let my wife in so she can see the real me? Do I let her in? Do I put up a front because somebody told me men don't cry? 
Is she really, this is a reference to Genesis 2, is she really a helper suitable for me? Or am I on my own? Was she designed, the woman, was she designed to complete humanity? Trivia question for those of you who know your Bible. True or false, the Almighty God created Adam, the man, and even though he was sinless, the Almighty God says, not good. True or false? He said not good to something that was sinless. When he created the second half of humanity, God always, apparently, right? God wasn't surprised that it wasn't good for man to be alone. He wasn't surprised by that. His intention was to create a community. And when he creates both halves of, commu- of humanity, then he blesses it and says it's good. Are we going to call God a liar, fellas? This is what hyperfeminism and chauvinism do. If you go off to one end, elevating one of the genders and poo-pooing the other gender, what are you doing? You're calling God a liar. You're calling him a fool. You're telling him he doesn't know how to design the universe. My encouragement, fellas, embrace your wife as an unbelievable gift, a gift of strength, a gift of wisdom, her spiritual gifting, the Holy Spirit speaking through her. Embrace her as a gift. Secondly, trusting your wife in her strengths allows you to devote yourself to yours. Trusting your wife in her strengths allows you to devote yourself to yours. Look at verse 23 again with me. This is a cool little window. This whole segment is talking so much about the woman, and we have to, almost by inference, have to figure out a few things about the husband. But he gets talked about directly at verse 23. Her husband is well known at the city gates, where he sits with other civic leaders. Now, we're going back over 3,000 years in time here and a very different culture where towns and cities had elders. There'd be maybe 10 or 12 guys, usually the oldest men, and they'd sit in a circle at the city gate and decide everything. There is no judge to go to. You go to these fellas, the elders at the city gates. These are the ones that are the administrative head of culture and the only authorities over them would be like a king who's probably in another city and God himself. For the local stuff, these guys are going to take care of business. So you see a husband who's exercising authority to be a godly blessing in the realm outside of the home. Why do you think he's able to do that? A man who trusts his wife in whatever all they have agreed inside Christian liberty, honey, these are your responsibilities, honey, these are mine, okay, I'll do this, well, what about that? We'll trade on this one. Can't agree on the dishes. We're going to go back and forth on the dishes. (laughs) Wherever the boundaries are, this guy trusts his wife and he flourishes where he is. You cannot... Go and be a blessing to the city when you're sitting there micromanaging your wife through text message. Worry about what she's doing. Worry about how she's doing it. Well, she's going to do it wrong. Everything about this chapter says this home is running on all cylinders. She gets up early, preps breakfast, feeds the servant girls, and gives them their assignment. So there are who knows how many people busily working all day long because of her. 
She's making everything work. She's keeping the home profitable. Everybody's provided for. Wow. Her having the liberty, the freedom to do what she's good at allows him to go do what he's good at. He apparently doesn't talk about him. He apparently is a man who's godly enough that they made him an elder over the town. That's really cool. He is honored by who she is. She is honored by who he is. Guys, the Proverbs 31 wife is half of a couple, right? There was, there's a Proverbs 31 man. The Proverbs 31 man trusts his wife. He trusts his wife. I also, in almost three and a half years, have sadly sinned against this church by not providing nearly enough football analogies during football season. So I would like to correct that error of my ways right now. And I'll try to say this in a way that makes sense to people who don't watch football. When an offense decides to run the ball up the middle, and if they do it well, the other team feels the need to put more guys in the middle. They're running the ball up the middle, and they, we can't stop them, so they need to put more guys in the middle. I would say that they're cramming the box, but I don't want to leave behind the non-football people. So the, I didn't even say defense. You should be proud of me. The other team puts more people in the middle because they're going to keep running the ball up the middle. And what this does is then Tom Brady, I'm sorry, whichever uh, excellent quarterback, sees that out on the sides there are fewer defenders. And he can throw long passes to guys 20, 30, 40 yards out and make huge gains because the defense was responding to how well they ran the ball up the middle. Fellas, your wife is a future pro bowler running back. She's tough, and she can take a hit. And some of the ways that you are succeeding in your part of the marriage are because she's good at her part. These two things go together. They complement each other. They bless each other. They encourage. They strengthen. Let me ask introspection. It's again, it's in your notes if you have the notes. Introspection. Do my spouse and I have open dialogue about who is good at certain tasks and who enjoys doing them? One of the things that I wished so much, I've spent years wishing that Emily and I's premarital counseling had covered, and I, I hope one day, I, I don't know, I'm kind of in that in-between age, I don't know if I'm old enough yet, but I'm looking forward to the day where there's a 21-year-old who's engaged and says, Pastor Greg, would you do our premarital? I'm looking forward to the day. I have lots of ideas. <laughs> One of the things that I wish somebody had said was I wish they'd have sat me down and say, Greg, in total silence, I want you to write out the top seven to ten things that make Thanksgiving Day what it is. To you, what is Thanksgiving Day? And Emily, in total silence, on your sheet of paper, you're going to write it up. If you'd compare those lists, we could have a conversation now instead of fighting about it for the next four Thanksgivings. <laughs> but nobody ever told us we had to have this conversation. It's not about Thanksgiving. It's that I need to be told that two radically different family cultures are about to come together. And if we're chauvinistic, the guy's going to just pound the wife and get what he wants. And if we're in a hyper-feministic situation, the wife's going to pound and she's just going to get what you want. There's not going to be teamwork and love and gentleness. 
and serving the other and wanting them to get to incorporate beautiful parts that mean a lot to them of this holiday and how are we going to spend time with both sides of the family, etc. What about if the pre-marrieds had to talk through every single day? What does an average week look like for you? What chores do you expect to do? What chores do you think your spouse is going to do? Who's going to work? How much? How hard? Who's going to college and when? Am I working you through school and then you're working me through school? How many kids would we like to have by God's grace? Adoption? Bio? Both? I would love it if somebody took pre-marriage through these questions. I would love it. Fellas, does your wife have permission to devote herself wholeheartedly to the things she's good at? Are you guys having open dialogue? But here's what you're good at. Here's what I'm good at. And then, of course, the cross of Christ comes into play, right? Back to Ephesians 5. If a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church, dying for her, right? Then it's okay, fellas. It's okay to go... Here are a few things that are on my wife's side of the line. These, these are things she agreed to do, but I know she doesn't really like them. And I'm going to sneak home an hour early and I'm going to knock those out before she gets home. It's okay to do that. We agreed. We talked. We carefully, like, these are her responsibilities. These are mine. And it's okay for me to keep pushing to lay down my life for my wife. That's okay. It's more than okay. It's good. Trust your wife in where she's strong. Trust your wife. It's going to give you so much freedom to go do what you're good at. Now to verse 25, we're going to... Here's another difficult one. Please don't think you're the only spiritual person in your marriage. Please don't think you're the only spiritual person in your marriage. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this is obviously tackling a real breathtaking arrogance, but it does show up. Let's look at verse 25 real quick. She is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. Okay. Other verses go on to extrapolate her trust is in the Lord. Her trust is in the Lord and she is full of faith. You laugh without fear of the future? That's faith. God is on his throne. This woman has her own relationship with God. Okay, It is not a second-rate tag along, I'm borrowing, I'm writing the coattails of my husband's spirituality. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. So let me remind you, for those of you that have read and studied the book of Acts, shortly after Jesus goes into heaven, gives the Holy Spirit and says, go make disciples of the whole world. He entrusts the whole kingdom of God to us. Peter and John get in trouble with the Jewish religious elite. They get pulled in front of the Sanhedrin and they go, hey, by what authority are you doing this? Which is a really hilarious, silly question. But um, because an empty tomb gives authority. But anyway, that's a sermon for another day. And they say, no more preaching in, that, in the name, in that name of Jesus. We can't do that, whatever. And they say, we can't help but tell about what we've seen and what we've heard. Um, the high priest at the time stood up, not knowing he was prophesying, but he stood up and said, hey, um, leave these men alone 
Every other false messiah has come and gone. There was a short uprising, and then it just faded away when he got killed. Um, This Jesus guy, we just killed him, so it's probably going to fade away pretty quick. Don't fight against these guys, just in case by accident, if we're wrong, we found ourselves fighting against God. So he's willing to say, if we're misunderstanding the, the tomb, like if God actually raised Jesus from the dead, we're going to find out that we were fighting against God the whole time by stopping these guys from preaching. Okay. There was something in him that had just enough humility to say, we really think that we know what God wants for the family of God. But these two guys are swearing up and down that they know what God wants for the family of God. Everybody wants blessing for Israel. It's just a matter of how we get it. We think it's a false Messiah. Those guys are saying, no, this is the real Messiah. Are we going to pull out our pea shooters and go for a duel at high noon in the meantime? No, he's just saying, sort of, hold on, hold on. It'll die out on its own if it's not of the Lord. I wonder how much good could happen when a husband and wife have two different views of how God is going to bless the family. What would happen if in the middle of a fight, if I stopped and I affirmed and I said, my wife wants what's best for me. She wants what's best for our home. She wants to honor the Lord. If I just said that to myself, it doesn't matter how much I disagree with her over the current conflict. I know my wife. She loves the Lord. She loves our kids or grandkids, whatever your situation may be, nieces, nephews. She cares about us having a godly witness to our neighbors and friends. Isn't it healthy to go back to the foundation? To go back, oh, see what I did there? Um, isn't it healthy to go, man, I know that my wife and I are on the same page. We're fighting over this detail right now, but I, I know that my spouse and I, we have the same core values. Wouldn't that de-escalate it just a little bit? I know it pulls my heart rate down. Now I can realize that my, my wife's not the enemy. Disunity is the enemy. That was for free, folks. If you're a young single guy, write that one down. Your wife is never the enemy, period. You're going to feel like she is, but she's not. So here's the introspection question. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit is pro-marriage? Does the Holy Spirit believe that both genders are completely equal? If so, I'll expect the Holy Spirit to speak to and through my wife, not just to me. Guys, you know what's going to happen if you don't expect the Holy Spirit to speak through your wife? You're going to play the God card. Honey, we're doing this. God said so. And what is a wife's defense? How is she supposed to answer that? God wants us to do this. Oh, really? Is your face shining, Moses? <laughs> For sure, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit inside your heart. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit through wise counsel of people you respect. Dad blasted fellas, the Holy Spirit speaks through your wife. She is a helper suitable for you. She has perspective on you and your personality, your temperaments, your weaknesses, and your strengths that nobody else in this church has. She knows things about you that your parents don't know. 
She knows things about you your best friend doesn't know. The Holy Spirit through your spouse might be one of the most precious voices in the Christian life. Do you have the humility before God who has said that your wife is a co-heir of all the inheritance of the church? She's a co-heir of the entire earth and of all the promises of God. Do you have the humility to go, thank you, God, for giving the Holy Spirit to my wife. Thank you that spirit-filled words come to me from my wife. Guys, if we don't believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us from our wife, we're not only chopping off access to blessings that we're going to want, we're disrespecting and dishonoring our wife, we're disrespecting the God who saved her. Jesus died a horrifying death on a cross to put the Holy Spirit inside your wife's heart and life. He paid a huge price for that. So let's honor and respect that sacrifice that he made. Amen? Okay. Fourth. I won't belabor this either because this is very similar to the first. Listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. Look at verse 26 and try to tell me that men aren't supposed to listen to the wives. That'd be ludicrous. When she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. When she speaks, her words are wise. She gives instructions with kindness. So similar variation on the same question. For Christian men, do I believe the Holy Spirit gives my wife wisdom or does he only give it to me? Same idea, okay? You're not the only spiritual person in the marriage if your wife loves Jesus. Listen to your wife. You're not the only spiritual person in your marriage. Listen to your wife. Fifth, praise your wife. Praise your wife. Our culture right now is so rapidly evolving with communication and therefore we're rapidly evolving with how we give praise. And it's very cheap and it's very counterfeit. Um, we hear something that we like on YouTube, and so we give it a thumbs up. We're like, wow, look at that. That's really cool. 3.6 million people have given a thumbs up to this cool TED Talk with this inspiring idea. I made no sacrifice, really, of my time and energy. I didn't devote my life to it, but I gave praise. I've shared with you guys before, Lady Gaga, if you're of a certain age, just think pop star who wore a, wore a dress made entirely out of uncooked beef. Uh, to an award ceremony. Lady Gaga, who's now multi-platinum, she said about six or seven years ago, it was really amazing, she said applause is the most temporary thing on the planet. Wow. Applause is the most temporary thing on the planet. It doesn't really cost me a whole lot to do this. It's something. It's something but I didn't exactly devote my whole life to the idea. I just kind of clapped for it. Those are different, right? Are you guys with me? Those are, <laughs> where's, the, where's that story? That story of the chicken that comes to the pig and says, you know what? Our farmer is such a good guy. He's such a great guy. I think we need to show our love for the farmer. Hey, what do you guys, what do you think about us doing a ham and eggs breakfast for the farmer tomorrow? <laughs> the chicken needs to make a contribution the pig has to be very committed, right? Okay? 
There's praise that's like this. And then there's praise like, I'm going to sell everything to follow him because he is good. Those are, those are two different types of praise. Two different types of honor. Two different types of glory. Guys, what are the ways we can praise our wife? Ladies, what are the ways you'd like to be praised? Where would you like to receive some encouragement? An a girl or a thank you? Aren't thank yous a warm blank on the soul? Especially when we're not expecting them. They're powerful. My introspection question is this. How do I speak about my wife when she's not present? How do I speak about her when she's not present? When there's lower accountability or, you know, by way of illustration, you have a decent working relationship with your neighbor and your neighbor regularly complains about her boss. My boss is mean. My boss is rude. My boss is this, that, the other. Why are you hearing honest opinion about this lady's boss? Because you don't work in that office. There's zero accountability. You don't know the boss's name. You may not even know, like, you know, theoretically what company she works at or something. There's no accountability. So you're getting honest. This is what I think about this person. Fellas, what do people hear about your wife when your wife's not around? What are your non-Christian friends? Well, there's nobody from church around. What do they think about your wife? What do they hear off of your lips? Hopefully it's all good. If it's not, there's no day like today to take corrective action and say, Lord, I want to honor my wife in order to honor you. Here's my hope. I'm going to say one thing and then we're going to pray and do some announcements. My hope is that Christian men who are married, who hope to be married one day, you will plan on, that you will continually use your words to build and to affirm what is good and godly in your wife's life and in her character that should be affirmed, okay? Guys, I really, really, really do, I want you to compliment your wife's physical beauty. That is important, and the scripture just said it doesn't last. But it's still good to do. Oh, but to praise her character... That's my baby. She says, this sermon's going too long. <laughs> that was, yup. I want Christian men to be known for talking about our wives in ways that build them up and where we love them and we adore them and we honor them and we're so lucky to be married to her. Fellas, you don't even know I paid eight cows to get to marry her, and it was a bargain. How does everybody hear you guys talking about your wife? Are you the luckiest guy in the whole world to be married to your wife? We obviously don't feel that in the low moments during conflict, but in the in-between times. What are we doing to, if your words were a hammer and nails and two by fours and you were building up your wife with your words, what would your wife look like?
right? If it was entirely up to your words to build up your wife, what would your wife look like? And freebie, if you've got kids, it's the same way with them. Lord Jesus, please give us the encouragement, the inspiration, the motivation, the power to be um, godly husbands, those of us who are husbands or, or who will be one day, godly wives. God, whether we're married or not, we, we affirm that you've given marriage as an image of Christ's love for the church, and so we want to strengthen and protect the marriages around us. God, we want to be an encouragement. We want to give wisdom and support. God, the places of this sermon where I've added in too much of my own opinion, I ask you to just make it fall away, that nobody would even remember it. The things that are truly from your Holy Spirit, make them sink deeply into our hearts. Give us joy-filled obedience, guys. Lord, as, as the guys try to honor their wives, give us joy as we do that. Let it not be begrudging to honor our wives. God, allow our wives to blossom and bloom because they are getting praised and they are getting encouraged and they are being affirmed in their strengths. Glorify yourself, God, as you make teamwork happen in the marriages of this church. God, allow communication to be open and gracious. And let all of it be an incredible example to kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews, Lord. God, I thank you for the marriages in this church that you've already made so strong and the way that those marriages bless all of us and encourage all of us. Thank you, Lord, so, so much. We ask for even more so that we can glorify you in Citrus Heights and to the ends of the earth. God, give us even more. In your precious and powerful name we pray, God's people said.